It's time for episode 220 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's half empty, half full, and half an hour. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. How are you doing? I am great. I'd like to claim the half full side of that if I could. <laughs> Does that make me half empty? Yeah, that yeah seems sorry. Right. <laughs> I'm that far along in my career now, just at the half empty point. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, let's see how our guests are doing today. We have two fantastic guests. To my left, my very good friend, my co-host at The Rebound, writer of many things, Mr. John Moltz is here. Hi, John. Hi. Hi, Dan. I'm uh, 1.25 full. Oh, good. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're, That's you're like more than your 100% cup runneth over. over. Running over, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> and to my left is writer and purveyor of fine podcasts over at podfeet.com. It is my good pal, Allison Sheridan. Hi, Allison. Hey, Micah. How are you doing? And happy birthday this week. Oh, thanks so much. So happy to have you here. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good show today. I'll uh, I'll kick things off. Uh, last... Dan knows because he stole the best topic. I stole the best topic, <laughs> and that's my that's my prerogative. I stole the best topic because it was a late breaking story. Just as we record this, which is Mark Gurman's piece over in Bloomberg about how Apple is planning on unifying its app platform potentially next year, meaning that developers could write an app that runs on both iOS and macOS. So I'm curious just to hear your sort of off the top of the head opinions of this. Is this a positive move? Does it signal something about the future of the platforms? What are you what are, what are you thinking, John? Um, I you know, I think it's I mean, it's I'm not a programmer, so <laughs> I would really have to defer to people who do this on a day to day basis. And I've, heard, I've only had a, a little chance to read some of the reaction. And I know that some people have concerns, but a lot of people also think it's definitely a positive move. Um, I think anything that makes it easier to write stuff for multiple platforms that they can, you know, then leverage is, is good. So I think I'm leaning towards good in general. Uh, I also know that, uh, some of the universal apps, uh, people complain about They're like, do you have, you still have to write apps that are optimized for each platform. So it really doesn't get you out of having to do that. I mean, I mean even when it's uh, on, solely on iOS now, you still have to write something that's optimized for the iPhone versus the um, iPad. And now, I mean, there's so many different flavors of iPhone. There's a lot of stuff you have to do individually in there too. So I, it's hard to tell exactly how... Uh, much of a boon this is going to be for developers, but it does seem to me like it's a positive move. I like the idea of developers who make apps on for iOS being able to more easily bring their stuff to macOS. Um, that seems kind of nice and gives the possibility that we'll have some more interesting apps hit the Mac App Store. Overall, whenever I saw this news hit, it was sort of meh for me because a lot of the stuff that I use on the Mac uh, doesn't typically come from the the Mac App Store, and it's um, a lot of like utility apps uh, that I don't know necessarily if it's going to make a difference. Um, and my creative apps are another example of that. Uh, so most of the I don't know 
interesting stuff that I do uh, oftentimes seems to happen on these mobile platforms uh, on iOS. And so I guess if we can bring some of those apps, including games and things like that, over to macOS, then I'm down for it. But overall, it was just sort of a, oh, that's cool. I mean, I have, you know, other than Adobe's Creative Suite, I have maybe three apps that come from not in the app store and everything else is just what apple makes already so it's not not that special for me at the moment but i'll be excited to see what comes if this is true you know i gotta say i am the more i think about this listening to you guys since i had maybe 18 seconds to actually read the article before <laughs> thanks dan the shade. Uh, we uh I, I think this could be really terrific i absolutely choose apps uh higher in my in my list if they work between my ios devices and my mac so like i use paprika for doing recipes really easy to put them in on the mac but i want to have them on my ipad when i'm cooking or i want to have it on my iphone when i'm at the grocery store or like I chose Cloud Outliner as my outlining tool of choice because it works on everything and syncs all across everything everywhere all the time. I might have an idea in line at the grocery store or I might have an idea when I'm sitting at my Mac. I need to be able to use it everywhere. Um, I And if this makes their job easier, that sounds like a really good thing. But I would I believe last time I um, I settled all questions of whether I'm a good prost- prognosticator of the future. And uh, I would like to predict that there will be horrible implementations of this. And uh, (laughs) I'm guessing uh, Facebook will probably lead the pack based on the fact (laughs) that as of today, they still do not have the correct keyboard for the iPad 12.9 inch iPad Pro. Yeah, uh, John's point, I think, is a really good one about the fact that even in iOS, there are significant variations across devices. But I think what's interesting about this looking sort of farther forward is this to me seems like a first step. Uh, and I wrote a piece about this in Macworld a couple of weeks ago, but I think what what really struck home for me when thinking about it was the idea that Apple is managing two fully-fledged platforms right now, and that's got to be a significant workload drain. And it's just, it's got to be inelegant at times because there is stuff that you want to do and you have to implement it on both platforms or you have to make platforms work together, etc. So the idea that they're moving towards a future where maybe there is only one OS I don't know if it's iOS, I don't know if it's a hybrid, I don't know if it's something totally new, um, but that makes a lot of sense to me, and this seems like a first step towards that. Sure, there's still a lot of work that has to be done uh, to optimize for particular devices, to get UI that work on the Mac with a trackpad and keyboard as well, um, but it, it strikes me as something that could be a positive. It also means that the future of having something like an ARM-based Mac makes more sense because these these apps are going to have to contain code that runs on both an ARM chip and an x86 chip. So. Uh, I think this is a smart first step, and the fact that it's being rolled out now means that we might have several years of like developers getting on board with this before sort of the next shoe drops. Uh, but thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's move to topic number two. John, what do you got for us? Uh, well, this past spring, Andy Rubin's company Essential teased its new smartphone by sending out some pictures of it, and this generated a whole bunch of buzz, and that ramped up when he released a picture of it with a 360-degree camera on top of it. And then at the end of the May, at end of May, it was unveiled, and it seemed nice enough, like a nice enough phone, but the hype factor around it was seemed, you know, kind of overblown. Uh, one article called it an iPhone killer. Another uh, title said Beware Apple, and The Verge wrote no fewer than nine articles about it when it was announced. <laughs> 
it, it was uh, supposed to be delivered in June, and it wasn't delivered until August. And then Essential dropped the price of the phone by two hundred dollars since then. And now, according to the numbers of down, number of downloads of the camera app for the phone from the Google Play Store, it looks like they've apparently only sold about fifty thousand units. So uh, my questions for you are: uh, What is wrong with everyone, and uh, why? Why is there this big need to kill the iPhone? And uh, a follow-up question is: uh, What do you think a smartphone needs uh, these days to make it in uh, you know a pretty crowded market? Oh, all easy, very simple questions exactly. that I can answer for you. <laughs> um, but it's going to cost you fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Um, I, I think that, you know, I have to analyze things from a media perspective. And when it comes to any sort of product that you can tout as a killer of anything that's on top, you know, it's an underdog that's going to come along and sort of uh, beat out the competition. uh, News media organizations are going to jump on those things and try to get as many page clicks and views as they possibly can out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the driver behind nine articles on uh, that popular (laughs) site, because genuinely, as as uh, editors and and people more tasked with looking at you know metadata and things like that, they see the influx on the first three articles and they say, "Oh my gosh, we've got to keep writing about this. We've got to keep writing about this," and they make money off of that stuff. So that plays a huge role in it. And honestly, like it's it's kind of blingy to call something the iPhone killer, and people want to know what that looks like. And as far as it you know, being a success uh, and, and it not being a success. Um, I don't know what it would take to, to make a phone uh, that impacts the market now, uh, because uh, I think that we are getting to the end of what a phone exactly is in, in its current form, this, this flat piece of, of glass and aluminum. And now that we're seeing all of these augmented and virtual realities and, and those technologies, I really do think that that's going to be the next step. So we would have to see something from you know a third-party company come along and really step up the game. But I just, I think that the more popular companies are poised to do that anyway. So maybe Apple will make its own iPhone killer. We'll see. Well, I Allison? think you tried to take all of my words. Uh, you said underdog. I was going to say <laughs> it's a part of human nature to try to take down the top dog. So at least I got yes. a dog analogy mm-hmm. in there as well. It seems like uh, we see this all the time in every industry that whatever company is on top, we must find some way to smack them down and tell them they're not as good as they think they are. And that I think it's just human nature. Um, the question of what would make an iPhone killer, I can't help but think there was a traditionally an Apple podcaster, but I don't think he qualifies anymore because he, he was talking about how he likes Android better because there's like there's phones with like orange on them. You know, Apple won't let you have orange. I mean, you're going to take black or silver, or rose gold, and that's it. Those are your colors, you know, and, and it's like, well, really? Orange? That's what was the iPhone killer for you. That really made the difference. Um, what could be an iPhone killer? I don't foresee, and again, prognosticator especial here, I think that the, uh, the iPhone killer will be a device that Apple creates. And in the only thing it can have is an unbreakable screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've had underdogs, we have top dogs. It's a real dog-eat-dog world out there. Uh, I have to say, I think... Positioning anything is that sort of iPhone killer seems silly to me at this point. I think Micah was right in that we're the smartphone is such an advanced um, and developed 
product these days that targeting it kind of makes me feel like coming out with like you're if you're coming out with like the world's best flip phone right like maybe this is not the time for that uh if you're smart you're looking at something in the future not trying to catch up because frankly with the millions upon millions of units of both iphones and android phones that have been sold the idea of you catching say apple or samsung or what have you is it's pretty difficult right like yeah, to Allison's point, an unbreakable screen might might do it. Uh, maybe if there was something that was like super cheap, you know, and still develop delivered on quality, possibly. But frankly, you know, this phone was not going to come and sweep up all the people who were buying iPhones, right? Because it's essentially still an Android phone at the end of the day. Uh, maybe you take some market share away from Samsung, but you can only produce one phone. So you're aiming for like the high end of the market, which is not really where Samsung is doing most of its competing. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard for an upstart to come into this field and deliver something that is a smartphone killer. I 100% agree that whatever does kill the iPhone will probably come from Apple in the same way that Apple liked, you know, killing off its products at the height, right? Like the iPod Nano supplanting the iPod Mini. Um, you know, Apple really likes to be able to cannibalize itself rather than waiting for somebody else to do it. And, and as far as, you know, what is wrong with everybody, I... <laughs> I don't know. Somebody should tell me though, because I'm I'm really concerned about people. You know, I've been asking that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I still don't have an answer for you, John. <laughs> okay. Well, I thank you all for your thoughts. I think you guys uh, really got to the got to the whole meat of the subject because um, obviously, yeah, the reason they do this is yeah is most likely for page clicks and and that kind of thing metrics and yeah and as far as. Uh, making a new i don't think you i just don't think you can make like a new smartphone that's going to like suddenly rocket up the the market because it's it's too crowded there are too many entrenched players and so the thing that they always try to do is try and make some feature that leapfrogs everybody but you can't do that when you're a small player because you can't get the traction and you can't get people to develop for it so uh i think yeah you have to sort of think outside the box you have to make up something that is going to completely replace the smartphone category um or or if you want to just, you know, be able to have a successful business, do what Allison said, like make something that is going to get the basics right, like uh, long battery life um, and uh, and is much more durable. So there we go. That's that's for smartphone makers out there, wherever you are. Free, free advice. <laughs> uh, all right. We're at halftime uh, and time to tell you about this week's sponsor. Uh, our show today is brought to you by our good friends at Linode. Linode has fast and powerful hosting options that you can get set up in seconds. Their tools are easy to understand, and they let you choose your resources in Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And Linode plans now start at just $5 a month for a Linux server with a gigabyte of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode offers industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, access to a 200-gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, the fastest processors in the cloud market. They've got nine data centers spread across the world, meaning you can serve your customers quickly. They've got an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. They offer super simple scaling, allowing you to resize your servers in just a couple clicks, and it's all manageable via the good old command line. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. As I mentioned, you can get a server with a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, or at the other end of the spectrum, you can go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for just $60 a month. Across the board, Linode's offering twice the amount of RAM that you'll get elsewhere. And best of all, as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com clockwise, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. 
And with a seven-day mon- seven money-back guarantee, there's absolutely nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code CLOCKWISE2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show and Relay FM. Halftime has come to an end. Micah, what's your topic? Well, I will try to get through this quickly. Uh, Earlier this week, I was watching Star Wars, the new Star Wars in theaters, uh, and I needed to get up to use the restroom. Went to go use the restroom. Almost fainted. uh, Thought I just needed to sit down, sat down, and my whole chair was vibrating because of how fast my heart was beating. Uh, It stayed that way for an hour. So I went to the ER. Uh, and they, the, there was one person who started to have me go sit down in the waiting room. And then suddenly this other person comes over with a wheelchair and was like, no, 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 stay there. We need to take you. You're having a cardiac event. Um, so I was in the ER, uh, for like eight hours, um, figuring out what was going on. And I went home with, uh, an ECG recorder. So it basically just keeps track of my heart rate over the course of a couple days to try and find arrhythmias. Um, I was curious because I thought that this would be a perfect time for me to upgrade my Apple Watch because I have the Series <laughs> Zero, uh, which doesn't offer any of the heart, the cool heart stuff or the heart study. And so I'm going to be upgrading that. I just want to know, do you have an activity tracker of some sort, be it an Apple Watch or another device? And if you do, like, how much do you pay attention to all that data, the steps, the activity and the heart rate stuff? Allison, we'll start with you. Well, my flippant, silly answers don't really fit after that statement. <laughs> 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 glad you're okay now. Now, um, yeah, a few years ago, maybe about five years ago, I finally lost the weight that I'd been carrying for a long time. You know, like, you know, lose 10, gain 10, lose 10, gain 10 every year. I finally lost it and figured out how to keep it off. And I originally did it with using the Fitbit to count steps and I used lose it to count calories. But when I got the Apple Watch, I realized it was so easy to never lie to myself. I could see how many calories I was consuming and I set goals that would compensate for how much I wanted to eat and drink. Because I like to eat and I like to drink. So I had to have that compensated for. If I wanted to maintain that lifestyle, I had to exercise. So I watch the calories. I can look at my watch and say, oh, I don't feel like going for, oh, nope, I need 200. Come on, dog, let's go. So I've got to work the dog in every plot. And I, <laughs> I use it really seriously. I mean, I, I don't miss those goals very often. I, uh, I really look at that all the time. And um, it, it's also really frustrating to me because I compare mostly to my male friends and how many calories they burn. And they say things like, oh, yeah, I like to leave an extra 800 calories a day, uh, you know, spare. You know, for somebody my size, I can eat maybe 1,400 calories total a day. <laughs> so um, but I, I'm constantly competing with my friends. I wish the competition was better uh, the way it was with Fitbit. But you bring up the heart rate thing um, with the Apple Watch 3, or no, I don't have a 3, the 2 at least, I can see my heart rate slow down after a workout. And you want to see a nice smooth curve going down. I went on a speed walk before, uh, work, before the show today, and I noticed I was still out of breath when I got back, and I just checked my heart rate. It didn't come down. It stayed at... at uh, in like 130 range after my walk for quite a while. And, and I, I definitely felt that. I don't think it's a serious cardiac event because I feel fine now. But yeah, I, good. I absolutely watch it all the time, every day throughout the day. I try to, but I end up just getting caught up in things and don't pay as much attention. Um, on days when I'm paying more attention, I use the activity face on my Apple Watch, which actually gives me, you know, 
direct looking at all those goals and how I'm doing. Um, I try to, you know, hit those goals from time to time. And there have been weeks where I've like set myself really hard um, to like finishing everything. But there's also a lot of weeks, especially as it gets colder up here in New England, where it's like, oh, yeah, I need 10 more minutes of exercise, but it's 20 degrees outside. So <laughs> um, I do like some of the the stuff. I was just marveling that uh, I went for I raced in a 5k uh, this past weekend. And I was looking at the workouts section in the activity app on iPhone. And it has like my whole little route that I took and it, it logged like my heart rates cool. and it gave me my splits and all that. And I was like, wow, this is way cooler than I thought it was. And I thought maybe if I worked out more often, this would be really handy. <laughs> uh, but I don't. Um, I also do use the other thing um, because I had a Fitbit for a while, but it also just kept dying on me. I use uh, David Smith's Pedometer Plus Plus app and have a little complication on my phone. So it does tell me how much I've walked in both steps and miles uh, in a given day. And so certainly when I'm, you know, more at leisure and like vacation or something, and I am trying to like walk around more, I keep better track of that. But on the average day, I, I feel like, especially because I work at home, I don't get out as much as I'd like to. I am a, I am sort of a casual <laughs> tracker. I, I usually, when I do something that when I'm doing an activity, I do keep track of it. Um, although sometimes I forget to, uh, and I mostly use, I've I just got an Apple watch series three last month. And, uh, and I really have not yet used the heart stuff, um, consistently. So I, I probably, this is a, probably a good time to look more into that and um on so when i do uh lift weights or do some um exercising i use um fitness point pro to just track and i i actually put that stuff in manually just so that i know um what i'm what i'm doing and can keep track the next time because i have a tendency to forget what weights to use and stuff like that so um but the thing i think the thing that i've enjoyed the most about the uh, the apple watch within the last few months is that sparkly circle that shows up every once oh yeah yeah which I get very excited about for some reason. So <laughs> I think those things, you know, that and confetti, I mean, I think that stuff actually works. <laughs> Thank you all for your answers. I had a really large intro, so we will go ahead and move on to Allison's question. What do you got for us, Allison? Well, I recently mind mapped all of iOS 11 settings just to see how crazy it is. I actually thought it wouldn't be as bad as it was, but I've uh, I've got a link in the show notes to a giant PNG of the uh, of everything that's in settings. And after looking at that image and based on your experience, I was curious, how do you feel about iOS 11 settings? Do you get lost in there? Do you find everything you think you're looking for really easily? Do you feel like you've mastered them? How do you feel about it? I, I felt fine up until I looked at your picture. <laughs> my eyes are kind of bugging out of my head now because it's enormous. I'm looking at this at a, on a 27-inch 5K iMac, and I'm like, I can't even oh see the God. whole thing. Um there's a lot there. I wow. guess I hadn't really thought about it. It has certainly gotten more and more complex as time has gone by because they've added so many more features. I usually feel like I can find what I'm looking for, though on occasion there's like times where I, a certain feature might be filed and I try to think about like, oh, it's, is it under this or under that? And I sometimes have to hunt around a little bit. Um, the search capability is pretty good, but it doesn't have everything that I'm looking for all the time. And I, I feel like that is at least really helpful in terms of being like, oh, I know this is buried four menus deep, um, but I don't remember under which four menus. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think this is kind of the downside of whenever people are like, oh, why don't they just make this thing an option, right? Like a preference. And the answer is because there are so many preferences already. And it is very confusing, uh, especially if you're not a technically savvy person and you're trying to figure out how to turn a feature off. You may not even know what's on there, right? Like I have people come to me uh, frequently and are like, oh, yeah, I, my phone always does 
does this. I just got used to it. And I'm like, you know, you can turn that off. And they're like, what? Um, so I guess the, the short, long and short of it is it is probably more complex than it should be. But at the same time, it's probably just a function of how much more complex software has gotten. So I guess the answer is we just come to terms with it. <laughs> wow. That's that's dark, Dan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm half empty. I told remember? you half empty. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I mean I think I kind of agree in general. Uh, I get I do get lost in there sometimes. Um, I I have I am I feel like I am a fan of the uh, the change that they made last year, right? With um, iOS 10, where they moved the iCloud stuff up into like your the top section. Um, I feel like that stuff's a little bit easier to find now. Although I. I think it's kind of funny that I was in because of, because of this topic, I was in poking around and I noticed that I guess even iOS itself doesn't quite understand where things are either. Because if I go into my phone and, and the iCloud section and I tap on uh, the phone and the tap on the, the backup stuff and it says the first, the first screen, it says last iCloud backup, never. <laughs> and then I go into iCloud backup and it says last successful backup yesterday at 1130 AM. <laughs> so I think maybe even the phone, doesn't know where everything is <laughs> um i mean in general i usually find stuff but yeah every once in a while i stumble around and i'm like where the heck is that particularly if i'm rushed and i can't like think oh uh, that should be in this section or or if i don't find it in that particular section i can quickly think of where else it might be um, because there are a lot of different sections in here now <laughs> I, I I guess I hadn't really paid attention um, to how ridiculous it is in there. I think, um, you know, as as power users, we have less trouble getting through all this stuff. But I look at that flowchart and think of of family members trying to navigate through those settings, and it's pretty terrible. Um, one of my favorite things is. Anytime I download a new app, sometimes I'll just be tapping through to say yes, you can, you know, send me notifications. Yes, you can. Um, access my location while I'm using the app and different things like that. And the second that someone's one of the apps pops up a terrible notification, I will say, Hey, S I R I, uh, show me notifications for whatever app it is. And it pops up right to that setting so I can turn it off. Um, so I like to use Siri as much as possible to navigate the settings menu, uh, since it lets you sort of dig in a little bit deeper, just using your voice instead of having to tap through. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous in there. And I'm glad now that there's a mind map out there, a flowchart to figure out where everything is. In case anybody's wondering, no, I'm not going to keep it up to date. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Shoot. That is probably for the best. Well, I think that's the end of four topics. Uh, we hopefully have just enough time for a bonus topic and to tell us about today's sponsor for the bonus topic. Micah, take it away. Hey, our episode of Clockwise is brought to you by the great people over at Casper. Casper is a company that's focused on sleep, of course, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. Did you know you spend a third of your life sleeping? That's a little depressing. Well, if you spent a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it's as best as it possibly can be. And that's why you need a Casper mattress, because Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. 
They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. And Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, although I think you will, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. I love my Casper. I've talked about Casper before because I've got the Casper sheets, the Casper pillow, the Casper mattress, the Casper box springs, the Casper bed frame. Uh, I'm still waiting to buy the Casper dog beds because it's (laughs) a little pricey and my dogs are tiny. So I guess I'd just get one. But everything else I've got is Casper and I absolutely adore my mattress and have all of my family sleeping on them too. You can start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper by getting $50 towards any mattress purchase when you visit casper.com slash clockwise and use the code clockwise at checkout terms and conditions apply but remember that's casper.com slash clockwise with the offer code clockwise thank you casper for your support of our show all right time for the bonus topic we're right in the full swing of holiday season right now so what is your favorite holiday food or treat john uh pumpkin pie uh i am a sucker for pumpkin pie i i you know i mean i feel like it's technically mostly a thanksgiving thing but uh i feel like i have licensed the minute november starts i have licensed to eat all the pumpkin pie that i want through december (laughs) and possibly into january if there's some left over so (laughs) micah what about you for me it's a it's a new thing um i just made glue vine or mold (gasps) wine uh, the other day Mm. and it is now my favorite holiday treat. It's so delicious yeah. and so warming. And uh, yeah, I very much adore if you, it. So. If you ever get to Germany during the Christmas season, I was there last year. Um, they basically serve it at the stalls of the Christmas markets. It's fantastic. Ah! So good. So cool. Allison, how about you? Well, Dan, I'm going to have to go with gin, which is a year-round favorite <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm on board. I got no problem. I should have picked gin. <laughs> I got three or four bottles in the house right now, so I'm on board with that. Uh, but uh, I'm going to pick my uh, my personal favorite, which is ham. I do love a good ham, uh, even cooked by my Jewish father, a good ham. <laughs> what a weird experience, but it's delicious. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, thanks for your delicious suggestions there. And this brings us to the end of the show. All that remains is to thank our fantastic guests, John Moltz. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dan. And Allison Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us again. I had a blast. Keep having me back, especially when I remember to answer you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Micah, it's our, this is our penultimate show of the year. Only one left before the end of 2017. Wow. We've done it. Until then, reminding you out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.